Good morning. I just wanted to have that awkward silence just so you'd be like, what's he going to say? If you don't know me, my name is Connor Scholes. I'm the creative arts pastor here. And I have the honor of just sharing a little bit of God's word this morning. So I want us to, to read through the, the scripture, pray, and then kind of dig in to exactly what the Lord's Prayer is today. So in Matthew 6, it says this, and for starting in verse 5, it says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who is in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them. For your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive you your trespasses. Let's pray. God, may this passage become alive to us as it is. May we learn greatly from it. God, may my words be your words. May the truth I speak be your truth alone. And may what we study be for your glory and your kingdom's work alone. We pray this in your name. Amen. So I think we have all seen one of those movies, whether it's a war movie, whether it's a sports movie, whatever, where you have the scene, there's a massive speech that's given, whether it's before a big game or in a briefing before a battle. There may be some inappropriate words that are spoken during that speech, and then at the end of it, they go, all right, let's take a knee. And they all go, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be the name of the kingdom come, that will be done on earth as in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us debts. We forgive our debtors. And you lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. Let's go. Right? No? No one else has seen that? Yeah. So, for a good portion of us, and really for a good portion of the world, that's what the Lord's Prayer is. The Lord's Prayer is this like, mantra that you walk into the big battle or that you walk into the big game and you make sure you say it before so that your fortune's better than the other team who also said it. It's fortune, right? Or maybe the other enemy who's saying something like that too, right? And, and this, is, this is the way that we look at it. But the reality is, is if it's not in that context and it's in the context of I've really messed up, so I'm going to say five our fathers, or I'm going to confess by saying the Lord's Prayer, or I'm going to rededicate something because I don't know how to say it, so I'm going to say this. 
And yet when we study the Sermon on the Mount, what have we found? That when Jesus is teaching, he's not teaching us to give us some handbook to cheat or to, to get ahead, is he? He's teaching us some hard truths of the simplicity of the gospel, but that living it out isn't always that simple. And so let's look at what the Lord's Prayer means. Just by those, those first two verses, or first three verses, five through seven, he says, you know, and when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. And truly, I say, they have received their reward. So the first thing that we can learn from this passage is very simply that prayer is between you and God. Now, um, I want to hopefully help you walk away dispelling a few myths that come alongside that as well. Because I know there's like some introverts in here that are like, see, that's why I don't pray in public because it says pray in secret. And that's what I do. That's, that's not what this is saying, okay? It is, however, saying that the motivation of your heart determines what is happening as you pray. Um, just like last week when, when Matthias was talking about the motivation, motive versus the action. Like you can do the right things with the wrong motive. It doesn't make it right because you're still in sin with your motive. So in the culture of the day, the Pharisees would stand on the street corner and they might be standing next to someone who was sitting there begging. And, and they would pray, Lord, thank you that I am not like this man who is poor and has terrible clothes and whose parents must have been sinful. Thank you that I'm not like them and that I am holy and I keep your law at all times. Make sure the people are looking and hearing, as they say. And they wanted to be heard because they wanted to be seen because in their minds to be outwardly showing how holy they were was to be blessed, was to be living right. But what did we learn just a few weeks ago about what Jesus said about it? He said, man looks at the outward thing and God looks at the heart, right? And so Jesus is flipping this on its head and he's saying, no. The point of praying isn't for others to be seen. And in fact, if that's what you want, you're going to get that. People are going to see you pray, and that's going to be the end of it. There is no eternal reward for praying out loud in holiness and showing people how smart you are. But then he, he says what? He says, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Now, a couple things about that. So, we, we can glean that prayer is not one of public performance. It's not about how smooth it sounds. It's not about how lovely it is. It's not a public performance and it's not empty platitudes put together. Um, I don't know if you guys are familiar, but there's, there's lots. The Internet, of course, has all these things that you can lose so much time doing. But they have these, these uh, generator, random word generators 
you know, where like you can make up what your band name needs to be and it'll like bring out this and it'll be like, all right, you're the funky, you know, chart topper and that's your band name. It'll make that. Well, sometimes what happens when we pray in public is what we kind of like revert to whatever we can grab a hold of that we can think of, you know, like, God, I love you, and you're the best, and you're the greatest, and and uh, I really hope that things are going well, and then pretty soon you're like, am I talking to him, like a conversation, or what's going on? Prayer is not about empty platitudes. You don't have to be refined. It doesn't have to be perfect. It has to be sincere. And isn't that a great picture of the Christian relationship? of what it means to be a Christ follower? Don't we spend so much time trying to perfect things and God's like, you know that's not going to work, right? Like you're never going to be perfect. But when we come to him authentically and sincerely, he's like, okay, now I can work with this. I can work from your weakness and be made, you'll be made strong in your weakness. And I'll take those things that the world thinks are weaknesses for you and I'll make them a strength. And that's how he sanctifies us and redeems us. And he's showing us that's even in how he says we are to pray. So we know no public performance, no empty platitudes. You know, um, when we pray, we're not asking God for something that we need necessarily. We're asking him for the needs that he's going to show to us that we need. We're asking um, that we be obedient to his will, right? So... Let's look at a few examples of uh, that being in your, your prayer closet or, or being very sincere about what you pray. Um, I think my first example is from 1 Samuel. In 1 Samuel 1, if, if you don't know the backstory of this, um, this is Hannah. Um, she has been unable to bear children. And in that time in the Old Testament, that was a great shame. And so she is in the temple, but she is by herself, kind of in a corner, praying. And the high priest, Eli, sees her, and she goes, he says, As she continued praying before the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. And Hannah was speaking in her heart. Notice that, that phrase, her heart. Only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. So she's not doing what's normal. She's not praying out loud. She's praying in her heart. She is burdened. And if you know the way that this continues, Eli thinks she's drunk. He's like, it's early in the morning. Why is she drunk so much? And, and so he confronts her, and she says, oh, I'm not. I'm just fervently praying. I have so much anxiety that I'm giving to the Lord because I can't bear children. And, and he recognizes her faithfulness, and it says that he observed her faithfulness through her prayer and said, it shall be as you ask. And Samuel, the prophet, was born from Hannah, who became one of the, the greatest prophets in the Bible and, of course, is an integral part of David, King David, later on in the Old Testament. But she wasn't worried about what she was showing off. In fact, she was so in her heart praying that they thought she was struggling, right? She thought she was drunk. Um, Psalm 130, verse 1. Out of the depths I cry to you. I think that's the next slide. Right. Burp, burp, burp. Oh, I got them out. Sorry. Yeah. Um, 
Go to Psalm 130. There we go. Yep. Out of the depths I cry to you, O Lord. O Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. If you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, who could stand? But with you there's forgiveness that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul waits. And in his word I hope. My soul waits for the Lord. More than the watchman for the morning. More than the watchman for the morning. Now I want you to notice something here. Um, A lot of times when we think about like vain repetitions and empty words, we think that that means we can't repeat something. But if we look at what David here, when he entreats, he's not just repeating that for no reason. He's repeating that because he's declaring that to the Lord, but also to himself, right? And he is burdened before the Lord, pain before him, and crying out to him. Now, if he were to stand on a street corner and say that, I don't think that he would be seen very, like, professionally, right? They're not going to be like, really? You're talking about sin and needing to wait for the Lord so urgently? You're like that night watchman who is trying to stay awake just in case there's a danger? Like, you're that adamant about the Lord? And so that's, that is this idea of the heart, the motivation is coming to be part of the Lord, not to be worried about the people around him, but simply to be focused on the Lord. And then the passage from Joel. Um, this, This passage is one of those that, for me, in my life, has been um, kind of one that that I meditate on when I get selfish. (laughs) Because it says this, it says, Yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Uh, Return to the Lord your God, for he's gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. Um, Sometimes it's easier for us to be to appear sad and to walk around with our sad countenance than to rend our hearts, to allow our hearts to be moved and to be changed. And so when, when Jesus is speaking in the Lord's Prayer, this is what he's talking about. He's saying, go into your room and shut out the distractions. Like in our world, we have distractions everywhere. You are probably right now getting notifications on your phone as you're sitting in service. Like that's just part of the technology that is in our world. And so he's not saying go in secret to pray so that nobody knows you're praying, so that nobody can see you're praying, so that you don't have the appearance of being a Pharisee. He's using common sense. When you go by yourself in a room, you can focus. And you can pray authentically. Because, you know, just like when we're singing, if you don't have the greatest singing voice and you're standing next to someone else, sometimes you're thinking the whole time, I hope they don't hear me. Right? I, and if you do have a good voice and you mess up a note, you're like, I hope they didn't know I messed that up. Because we are self-conscious as people. Amen? But when we are separated and it's just us, and the Lord. We're able to maybe to let go of a little of that. And even when we get distracted, we're able to say, God, I'm distracted. Help me not be distracted. God, I want to focus on, 
on what I need to focus on. And that's you. It makes us act different. It makes us pray different. So, what's this, your father who sees in secret will reward you? I think it's like any relationship. One of the most important parts of prayer is not just the spoken part, but the listening part. And when we give ourselves the ability to listen well, we hear things. We hear the truth that he brings from Scripture. And we're able to look honestly at our hearts and, and know areas that we need to confess sin and be moved and changed. We know grievances that we're holding against our brothers and sisters that we need to let go of or that we've done and we need to confess before them. It gives us the opportunity to experience freedom. Um, there's a, a catechism that talks about that prayer is a gloriously liberating religious exercise because we are exercising relationship with the Lord and that praying to the Father is the language of sonship, of daughtership, of being sons and daughters of a king and being able to talk to him freely and know that he listens, he cares, and he responds and that he's active. But when we do that, only in a public realm, what have we done? We've, we've shut out the relationship part of that. We've given that away. Because then the performance side of it will always creep in. Because we're human and we think about those things, right? So prayer is between you and God. The next part of this, when you pray, you pray with an attitude of worship. So let's look at, at verse 9 there. It says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven... Hallowed be thy name, or your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Just a sidebar for the ADD side of me, but how come when we do the Lord's Prayer, it's okay to say hallowed, and then if you say anything else, it's hallowed, hallowed ground. I don't hear anybody saying, let's stand on this hallowed ground, but we say hallowed be thy name, right? That's just me being weird. So... um. But what we're doing here is we're talking to God the Father. And if you notice, Jesus uses communal language. So even though it's between us and God, we're still a community praying to each other. And he said, hallowed be thy name, or holy be your name. To hallow something is to treat it holy. And the opposite of to hallow something is to profane it. So when we don't give the Lord the holiness and the glory he deserves, it's, it's like profaning his name. But not just that. When we recognize the glory of God, what does that start to do? That, that kind of weeds out some of that self-centered nature we have where we worry about me, 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 when we're thinking about him, him, him. And saying your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. By doing this, we have this attitude of worship. Because worship is giving worth to someone. 
And so we are giving worth to the Father. And we're saying, you're holy. Your kingdom comes first. Your will be done here and in heaven. And it also recognizes that he is the Lord. He is worthy. He is holy. But even more than that, um, we get this great picture of answering some questions about our relationship. You know, we get the answer, who do we serve? Because when you say, hallowed be your name, that's, you're serving the Lord. You get to say, who, what is my purpose? My purpose is what? God's glory, his kingdom. Um, I get to say, where is my hope found? My hope is found in the Father, in his love for us, in his greatness for us. And then we get to say, what is my role? My role is to what? To surrender to God's will. To allow his will to be done on earth and in heaven. And so in, in that simplicity of a start to the prayer, we're finding out, okay, this is what I need. So then we move to the next part that says, Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we've also forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So this is simply praying for both physical and spiritual needs. Now, if you notice, the first half of that prayer was completely corporate to the Father, right? But now we've shifted, we've pivoted, and we're talking about our daily bread. And this can be uh, translated a couple different ways. Um, some people would look at this and say, this is meaning our daily bread like just the daily bread for the day. And some would say that it means day by day, depending on how you look at that, that translation. So in the, but in the whole of that, it's saying he's giving us enough. And if you look uh, in, in Scripture where it talks about that you're not to worry about tomorrow because what? Because the day has enough troubles of its own, right? And then we go back and we look at the Lord's Prayer and we go, oh, that makes a lot of sense. Give us this daily bread. Because that's all I can handle, <laughs> right? Um, I don't need to worry about all of the other things. I need to worry about just enough for today. And just enough for tomorrow when tomorrow comes. And just for enough for the day after when that comes. Simplicity of faith through the scriptures. And then he, then he gets mean. He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And this is pretty important because in verse 14 and 15, he comes back to it and he says, For if you forgive others their trespasses or sin, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. What does that mean? Does that mean that God doesn't forgive us? No. But what it means is that if we are living according to God's will, if we are in relationship with Him, like, we are going to forgive others because we know we're forgiven. And we're not going to ask God for something that we're not willing to do because we see that modeled by the Lord. 
Uh, does anyone remember the parable of the ungrateful servant? Anybody? All right, parable of the ungrateful servant. Here's your synopsis. Guy's got like the equivalent of a million dollars in debt, something like that. It's crazy. He is never going to pay it off, and his master is like, you know what? I know you're never going to pay a million dollars in debt off. You are going to go to prison, and you're going to work a million dollars in debt off. And he falls to his knees, and he begs his master for mercy and says, how am I going to do this? I'm not going to be able to provide for my family. And his master says, has compassion on him. And he says, your debt is forgiven. Not just some of it, all of it. It's gone. And then, what does he do? He goes and he loves everyone, right? No. He goes and finds a guy who doesn't even owe him barely a day's wages and threatens his life and is, have it, has him thrown into the brig to work off his debt for a day's wages after he just had a million dollars wiped. And then what does the master do? The master finds out about it and says, oh, you will get thrown out where there's gnashing and weeping because of your ungratefulness, because you didn't recognize the compassion that was served to you and served it to others. Now, how does that fit into this prayer? This is how. When we pray and we accept vertical forgiveness that comes from the Father, but don't practice horizontal forgiveness to each other, that's an insult to the Lord. That's like telling the Lord, I'll take anything you give, but I don't have to give it. And that's not how grace works. That's not how forgiveness works. It does, it's not how the Christian life works. And that's why Jesus points this out, because that's happening. These people are, are accepting that they can be forgiven by the Lord, but not that they're going to have to forgive their brother, because that's a whole different thing. How many of us struggle with this? Like, God, I have messed up so bad. Thank you for forgiving me. And then as soon as someone does something to mess up and sin in your life, you're like, you're going to work that off for years before I come back and talk to you. So what do we learn? We learn that it's important for us to forgive even before we're confessing because we are practicing the very grace that is given to us. So maybe in your life today, you recognize, man, I've got some folks that I need to talk to and I need to say, I forgive you. The hurt is there. The pain that's caused, yes, that's, that doesn't leave, but I can forgive you because the Lord's forgiven me of much, much more. Amen? And finally, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. Does this mean that God is purposely leading you somewhere so that you sin? No. What it means is that as you do good and as you live for Christ, there will be attacks. There will be trouble. There will be persecution. And the prayers for the future, for the protection, to say, God, protect me as I live for you. Protect me as I work for your kingdom. Protect me as I work for your glory, knowing that the evil one will come and will attack and will try to sway me. 
And I know that I am not capable of defending that, but you are. Because you are my defender and my rock. You are my redeemer. You are the one in whom I trust. So as we live in this, um, when we look at what it means to, to live the Lord's Prayer, I, I encourage you to take time to reflect on that. And then one final thing about this. Before he starts it, he says, pray then like this. That means he wants you to pray your own prayers. You can use the Lord's Prayer as a template, but don't let it become the vain repetition that he warned against, right? Don't let it become the rote thing that you say. Um, Come to him honestly. Come to him earnestly. And allow him to transform your life through the gospel. Let's pray. God, thank you for this time. Thank you um, for the opportunity just to to travel through the Sermon on the Mount and to see um, just the glorious gift that you have given us in Jesus Christ. God, we pray that as we respond uh, by singing to close the service that um, your kingdom would come, your will would be done. God, that your glory would be shown. We pray this in your name.